0: Welcome to the Fire Time Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Fire Time Podcast. Well, hey, today's episode is the last episode in our Firetime Magazine Rapid Reaction series, where we listen together to an audio article from the Firetime Magazine, and then as soon as that's over, I immediately hit record and give you my rapid reaction to it. And to close this out, I'm gonna actually react to an article that I wrote back in the fall, and uh, this is an article that I've been I've been thinking a lot. About and I, I wanted to revisit it and share some thoughts based on where the industry is. And the title, I mean, it might be slightly controversial, but the, the title of the article is When Nothing's on the Table, Avoid the Urge to Eat Your Own. And I'm, I'm going to refrain from saying anything about the article to let it speak for itself, but there's a lot of thoughts that I had as, as I put this together. And, you know, when we think about where our industry is right now, and if you're listening to this in real time, the HPB Expo is is going on as as this comes out. You know, as an industry, we need to be coming together and not trying to devour the people around us. Because you know, you can only do that for so long. And then who's left? So with all that said, I want to jump into this audio article and give you some thoughts after we listen to it. I hope you enjoy it. This is something that I really believe is worth thinking about. And I'm excited to share my rapid reaction with you as soon as we're done listening to it together.
1: When nothing's on the table, avoid the urge to eat your own. By Tim Reed. When the market tightens, everyone feels the pinch from retailers to manufacturers. And after three years of the biggest boom our industry has had in decades, even a small market correction can feel like the sky is falling. Now, when the economy shifts, there's less food on the table for everyone, and business leaders have the choice of focusing on short-term food sources to maintain the status quo, or doing the difficult work of finding and securing new resources that will last for years to come. Unfortunately, in our industry, most companies choose the short-term fix to eat the golden goose rather than waiting for the eggs, or finding another goose altogether, and this plays itself out in a number of ways. If you're a retailer, it could mean laying off the latest installer or service technician that you hired. After all, this person doesn't have enough experience to help the team yet, and you have to protect the people who have worked at your company the longest, right? It could mean that you go another route, and part ways with the salesperson in your company who makes the most in order to preserve cash flow. After all, if you step in and work the floor a little bit more, you don't have to pay commission, right? Or it could mean that you part ways with the coach you hired to help you grow your business. Sure, the coach can help you with core values, sales process, and leadership training, but those are just nice-to-haves when push comes to shove, right? The problem with this line of thinking is that it provides temporary relief but erodes the very foundation that the business is built on, leaving the company in a crippled state when things open up again. Sure, you'll find food if you choose any of these options, but rather than using your workers to acquire new resources, you'll simply eat the workers themselves. And that only works once before you have to find more workers. For manufacturers, a similar scenario plays out. After years of ridiculous growth that wasn't intentionally caused or specifically earned, It's tempting to look down on the world and think you had a little bit more to do with it than you did. And now that things have shifted, the pressure to maintain the status quo is real, and many manufacturers are cutting down the trees that were giving them fruit. It could mean setting up more retailers in an already too concentrated area. After all, Philadelphia is a huge market, and there's no way that your current stores can serve all of it. If you need more sales, then you just need another retail store, right? It could mean letting your highest paid sales rep go and redistributing the territory among the rest of your factory reps. Sure, this sales rep won the business, but that was years ago, and you can't pay people to simply retain the relationships. And think about the bump your net profit would get by reabsorbing the salary, right? It could mean pushing your sales team to sell more POs. Never mind the fact that supply chain issues force dealers to buy everything they could get their hands on for the last three years, and their warehouses are already full. We all need to get through this together, and your dealers need to do their part. Right? Now, similar to the retailer, making these decisions will likely provide the manufacturer some amount of temporary relief. But at what cost? Oversaturating the market, cutting out the point person who maintain customer relationships, and stuffing more product into crowded warehouses has a shelf life. And our country knows better than most that you can only think one quarter ahead for so long before you drive straight off a cliff. To be clear, I'm not saying that difficult economic circumstances don't force difficult decisions, because they do. But when food runs scarce, our first priority shouldn't be asking who's the weakest at the table and how much they weigh. Instead, it should be asking how we can secure a sustainable new food source to protect our future. More often than not, the growth we're looking for is already in front of us, and we already have the resources, we're just not using them. One of the core values in our company is to view limitations as opportunities, and we've found that we can use times of disruption to confront the truth about our weaknesses and ask this question, what do our customers want from us? Answering this question sets us up to see the fertile soil we're already standing on and plant seeds we didn't even realize we had. So what does this mean for retailers and manufacturers? What's already in front of them that can become a sustainable food source without running the remaining resources dry? For retailers, you can start with a follow-up program. The truth is that when things dry up, people still buy fireplaces. They just don't buy as many, so it's up to you to find them. The good news is that these people have been coming into your business for the last two years, but you've likely never called them back. Now, Calling customers back from two years ago is scary, and I'm not debating that, but I guarantee that your customers are more interested in your products than you think. Make the effort to follow up with every customer who has received an estimate in the last two years a minimum of seven times and watch the magic that follows. Not only that, but retailers can double down on the sales process to cultivate more out of the customers that are already coming into the store. The truth is that most retail salespeople in our industry are sloppy, especially once you move past the owner or manager, and they let opportunities slip through their fingers every day of the week. This comes through customers coming in the store, calling on the phone, or filling out lead forms online. By defining a clear sales process for your team and practicing it weekly, you'll be amazed at the immediate turnaround they have and see that all they needed was the right tools to do their job. Another place for retailers to find food when things are scarce is by pushing into service after the sale. If your company has been in business for more than a few years, chances are that you have a customer list that contains at least a 1,000 emails. These customers all have products that need regular service, and that means revenue and opportunity. Sure, performing yearly maintenance on a gas insert only pays a couple hundred dollars, and yes, you'll have to invest in some new equipment if you've never cleaned a chimney before, but this is what your customers need, and they're already paying someone to do it. By taking on the burden of service after the sale, you'll find a marketing and revenue engine that keeps moving year after year. For manufacturers, the low-hanging fruit is already in place. Where can you go to find customers who are interested in buying your products for zero additional dollars spent? Your website. Nearly every manufacturer in our industry has a website that's built like a library, but one where visitors can't check out the books. Sure, a customer can find all kinds of information, but what happens after that is anybody's guess. But with a slight change of focus, manufacturers can create an intentional sales funnel that uses the traffic their websites are already getting to generate thousands of leads, and even in-home appointments, for their dealers. This shift will immediately separate the wheat from the chaff when it comes to your end user, grow their loyalty to your products rather than just the idea of a fireplace in general, and create incredible revenue for your dealers who now have appointments with qualified customers that are halfway to the finish line with your products. This could also mean looking for new channels where your business could go where it currently isn't. For every manufacturer in our industry, there's a huge part of the market staring them in the face just waiting for their products. Chimney service companies. Now, a few manufacturers have already figured this out, but most haven't, despite the fact that chimney companies are in thousands of homes per year, and, in some cases, a single truck does more revenue in one year than an entire retail store. In order to tap into this new channel, manufacturers need to adopt the mindset that dealers don't have to have a showroom to represent their products. The reality is that customers who schedule service appointments for their chimneys and buy inserts sight unseen weren't going to go to a retail store anyway. The best chimney service companies in our industry will do one to two million dollars or more per truck each year. What if your products were just 10% of that? Finally, manufacturers can find food by investing back into their dealers. Sure, most factory reps can walk into a retailer's store and tell the team about the new products that have come out that quarter, but can they train the sales team to actually sell those products? Does the manufacturer give so much value that after the VP of sales comes in for each quarterly dealer visit, the company could send the store a $1,000 invoice for a consulting fee and expect the dealer to pay it? In most cases, no way because when the focus is on the manufacturer, there's no value. But what if the focus was shifted to the dealer? What if a manufacturer in our industry became the ultimate training company, the company who could train new sales reps within six weeks to produce results? What if a manufacturer had a sales academy where they taught the sales process so well, that dealers were forced to take on their products just to get their team's access to this invaluable resource? What if sales reps were trained to run sales practice for the retailers at their visits rather than just explain the new brochure that's available online? Now, of course, it takes two to tango, but if a manufacturer would commit to these objectives, the tidal wave of dealer engagement that would follow would be unparalleled. To be sure, none of these things are easy. What's easy is the short-term fix, cutting the second install crew to increase cash flow, pressuring your dealers to match last year's numbers regardless of how much product is already in their barns, but that will only work for so long. And trust me, when the rent comes due, you won't get out until you've paid every last penny. But there's a better way. You can do the hard work of finding fresh soil, planting different seeds, and watering new growth to produce something that's sustainable for years to come. This takes focus, grit, action, and more than anything, it takes making yourself responsible for the consequences of failure, but that's what leadership is all about. So are you leading your people or simply trying to maintain the status quo? Remember when there's nothing on the table, avoid the urge to eat your own.
0: Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that article. As you can probably guess from listening to it, you know there, there was a lot that was going through my head as I was writing it and, and I really wanted to take some time specifically to address situations at, at the different levels of, of being, being both a dealer and a manufacturer. You know, I, I think what it comes down to is this actually as, as this episode comes out today, I'm going to be co-hosting the HPB expo keynote address with Jill McClure from the HPBA. And the heart behind our portion of the keynote is an observation that the author Jim Collins made about the way that Hewlett Packard ran their company from the 1960s into the 1990s. And essentially he attributes their massive success to Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard asking a fundamentally different question than the other CEOs of their day. Other CEOs of the day were asking, how can I succeed? Bill and Dave were asking, what can we contribute? And, when there's nothing on the table, it is so easy for us to immediately go to, how can I succeed? What's it going to take? We got to cut here. We got to push for more sales. We got to sign up more dealers, That those sorts of things. And it's not that those things are necessarily bad in and of themselves, but as the examples in the article outlined, when you look at the context around it, oftentimes those decisions kill the golden goose. And and sure, when you kill the golden goose, you can eat that night. But you know what happens the next day? And I think that instead, when there's nothing on the table to eat, we need to ask, what can I start to contribute to the market? Because when the focus moves away from me and my individual success, which frankly, at a lot of companies, you know, at, at different manufacturers, retailers, distributors, all across our industry. There are people in key positions who are not worried about making the right decisions for their company. They're worried about trying to preserve and defend their job. And and, and that stifles innovation and, and growth. And when we can instead make the shift to what can I contribute to the market, to our customers, and to our industry, something changes Because all of a sudden, we start to think like our customers. We start to think like the market because we've gotten out of our own way. When we look at making a contribution that gives value to somebody else, it's amazing how we can see problems that we've never seen before and start to realize the opportunity that comes with solving those for our customers. And so, you know, I think that there's a lot to process here. And and to sum this up, you know, my belief is that is that right now in our industry there are a lot of different people and companies that that are feeling the pressure and that are being squeezed, and and the temptation it, it, it is our human nature. So I'm not I'm not condemning you if this is if this is where you've been or if this is what your gut instinct is. It's, it's the same for me. Our gut reaction when we face the pressure is an immediate, quick fix to make the pain go away, and oftentimes that involves doing something really foolish that hurts our ability to be a great company tomorrow. Instead, we need to realize that most opportunity is right in front of us and within our control to achieve if we can just clear the noise and have the proper mindset and humility to look honestly at our company and try to solve the problems of our customer. So yeah, there you have it. I hope you guys got a lot out of that article. I think the title, you know, the title is is really the summary that when nothing's on the table, avoid the urge to eat your own. Now, with all of that said, we're going to put a bow on season 11 of the Firetime podcast. For the next couple of weeks, as we start season 12, you're actually going to hear some live episodes that I recorded At this year's HPB Expo, I'm super, super excited for you to hear this. There's some really, really good stuff in there, and then we're going to hit the ground running with the rest of the season. So wherever you are, I hope that this was both encouraging and challenging, and that you can take to heart the message of this article, which is to look around at the abundance that's already around you and in front of you, rather than sizing up the people around you and asking who would be best on the table tonight. And my belief is that there's a community around us that's growing, that's stepping up and asking the question, what can we contribute as opposed to how can I succeed? Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, And the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time.